Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. We are so glad that the Lord has brought us all here today to worship Him. And I welcome you, especially if you're a visitor. If we haven't met, I'd, I'd love to meet you. I'll be outside of those doors right back there under the portico after the service. But I welcome you, visitor or not. It, it's the Lord that has called you here, and He has worked all things for you to be here right now. And he's done this in order for you to worship him, to know him better, and perhaps yourself better as well. And so, worship him we shall. But first, let me just point you to your bulletin uh, for announcements. There's lots going on in there. Session meeting today at 3.30. Deacons meeting at 5 o'clock today. Youth group at 5.30, along with our mission and outreach study at 5.30. And that's just today. Um, also, you'll see that not only we'll be celebrating communion next week, so, so be preparing your hearts for that. Next week is also Rally Day, all right? That, that's the kickoff of the new Sunday school year. And as such, we're going to enjoy lunch together immediately after the morning worship service. And everyone is invited. Please bring a side dish if you can. Fried chicken will be provided. Um, and we'd love to see a wonderful turnout for that event. Now... Other things are going on, too, that are about to start up, so please do be aware. Please mark your calendars even now for homecoming and special services. I know that you will be blessed by our guest speaker, Reverend Joe Fleming, as he presents on what the Lord is doing in Africa to build his church and on how we can help advance the gospel. Now, again, homecoming is September 17th. And y'all know how time moves. It is going to be here before you know it. Now, one more thing that I want to announce. Normally this gets in the bulletin and didn't make it this time. The flowers in the sanctuary today are given to the glory of God and in memory of L.R. Vaughn by Jane and Val. So please take note of that. Now, that's enough announcements. Again, the, the Lord has called us here to worship. And I see that that's right. Dottie is here today. Yes, it's so good to see you back, Dottie. Thank you so much, Dottie. It's so good to have you back and to see Donnie back with you, of course, as well. But uh, Dottie is a testimony to the Lord's faithfulness. He has been with her and brought her this way, and, and we are so delighted that he protected you and preserved you. Now, thank you, Dottie. Let's prepare our hearts for worship as Donna leads us in the prelude. Our call to worship this morning comes from the 24th Psalm where it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. And then the psalmist asks, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? 
He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him and seek thy face. O Jacob, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. My friend, this should be a psalm that encourages us, that inspires us to look to the Lord again and again. But it ought to be a psalm that reminds us too. That question that the psalmist asks right there in the middle. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or shall stand in his holy place? And then he goes on to say, it's only the one that has clean hands. The one who hasn't looked unto vanity. The one that hasn't sworn deceitfully. In other words, it's the righteous one. And we got a problem in and of ourselves. We're not righteous. Not on our own. But my friends, this is even more cause for worship because you see in Jesus Christ we have been declared righteous. For Christ does have clean hands. Christ has gone before us so that in his power and might and, and through the atoning sacrifice of his blood, we have been called the children of God by placing our faith in him. And so therefore, as we ponder who can ascend the hill of the Lord, the answer is all those who are trusting in Christ. For this right, this privilege has been purchased for us. What a wonderful God we serve. Let's now go to the Lord in prayer, after which we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together and then confess the Apostles' Creed. But let's go to him now. Our Father, we thank you for this righteousness that you have purchased for us through Jesus Christ, through his work, through his commitment to your will, to not his own. All the things that you have done all the temptations that Christ faced, all the fulfillment of your law that he undertook, and all for the purpose that we can come before you in his name. Oh, Father, we are here to do that now. Please give us grateful hearts as we do so. And please guide us by your Holy Spirit that this time would be pleasing to you, that in it we would see Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And as a result, reflect him in the world around us. Please guide us now in this time and bless it. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, Christian, as we confess the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. And now let's continue in our worship. As we take our hymn books, the words, of course, are on the screen. But as we sing number three, praise the Lord, ye heavens adore him. Please stand with me as we sing hymn number three.
may be seated and children join me down front. I think we can fit right here. There we go. Grab a seat, guys. All righty. Well, good morning, everybody. That was so nice, Chloe. The rest of you act like you went back to school or something recently. I'll try that again for the rest of you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. That is much, much better. How's everybody doing today? Good. Good. We wide awake here. All right. Well, good. I want to talk to you today about something important, something interesting. A couple of nights ago, right before bedtime, I have this routine that I follow. When Miss Amanda decides that it's time to go to bed, I say, okay, but the last thing that I do is I take my dog Bobo out one last time before I put him in his crate downstairs in the basement. Now, this was around 11.30 or 12 at night, which I'm sure is long past your bedtimes, right? Yes, but was, that means it was really dark outside, right, when it's late at night. The moon hadn't even really cracked yet. It's just a little tiny crescent right now. But anyway, so usually I go outside with a flashlight, but I didn't that night. Right? Usually I go up because I don't want to fall off the porch or something like that. And the biggest thing I'm afraid of is I'm going to go out and there's going to be a skunk right at the backyard. And then that would be really bad, wouldn't it? Now, so I didn't have a flashlight, but an interesting thing happened. Almost as soon as I went outside, I looked out and I saw this big bright thing shoot across the sky. You know what it was? No. It was, a, it was not a UFO. Yeah. It was a shooting star. Or a meteorite, if you want to be less, I don't know, mystical about it. They call them shooting stars, but really they're meteors that enter the Earth's atmosphere and then they burn up and that's boring and it's for science class for you. But I saw this shooting star. Now, who knows what people do when they see shooting stars? Yeah, yeah, there's even a song about that, right? When you wish upon a star, right? People a lot of times wish when they see a shooting star. But I want to encourage you guys to do something different. By the way, I preached about this. Or I talked about it recently. It's a good time to see shooting stars because there's this thing called the Perseid meteor shower. It's going on until September the 1st. And so if you want to see one with your parents or with a grown-up, go outside and you might see one at night. But what I want to encourage you guys to do is not just wish on shooting stars. That's what everybody does. What I want to encourage you guys to do when you see something like a shooting star or even when you see something really beautiful in nature, or just when you go outside, especially if you live in some place that's dark, and you see the millions and billions of stars, I want to encourage you guys to remember the Lord. Right? Listen to what the Bible says about the heavens. This is Psalm 19, verse 1. It says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies show his handiwork. Another way to say that is when we look up at the beautiful sky and when we see how beautiful nature is, nature should remind us that God created all things. And if God created all things, guess what? That means that he created you. Also, you should remember because God created you, God loves you and he loves you so much that he provided a way for you to be with him forever. But it's only through Jesus. So... I want you guys, when you see beautiful things in creation, I want you to remember God, remember how much he loves you. And I want the rest of us to remember that too. Let me pray for you. 
Our Father, we thank you for these children, and I pray that you would be with them, that they would remember you, that they would remember how much you love them, that you sent Jesus to die so that they can be with you forever. Help them to trust in you. And I pray that you would help the rest of us do that as well. Help us to remember from creation that you're the creator and we are your creation and that you're in charge. But help us to lovingly follow you and trust you. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all can go. And as they are being dismissed, let's now prepare our hearts, go into the Lord in silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. Let's go to him now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, whether it is in the scripture that we have read thus far together about your name being lifted up, about you being seated on high in all of your majesty, whether it's even what I read with the children just now about the heavens declaring your glory, or in the hymn that we sang, all of these point to your majesty. All of these point to the splendor of your might. All of these point to the fact that you are the everlasting God. And also, you have called us to be your people. As such, though you are seated on high, you are aware, and not only aware, you are active in our lives, providing, ordaining, maintaining, protecting us, blessing us in ways we don't even see. And all because of your love, because of your grace, because of your mercy. So as we come to you now in prayer, we come praising you for these things, recognizing your greatness, and in humble adoration, thanking you that you love us so much. Though we've done nothing to deserve your favor, you give it again and again because of Jesus Christ. And we are loved for his sake. So, Father, as we consider ourselves, as we consider who you are, as we consider what we have done, let us be quick to confess. Let us be quick to go to you in repentance, recognizing where we have failed, recognizing our need for forgiveness and our need for direction. For the things we have in life, they're not ours. The things that we do are not a result of our power or prowess or smarts or anything else. It's all a part of your grace. And we need you desperately. We need you to guide us. We need you to convict and correct and encourage and spur us on. We need you to inspire us that we would not get just trapped in the, the cogs of existence that the world is, 
is trapped in around us. Not, not to just get stuck in a rut and we blink and another year is gone, another decade's gone. Instead, you have called us out of the world to reflect your glory and majesty. And we won't do this without your Holy Spirit. Let us be sensitive to your Spirit's calling. Let us every day seek to follow the Spirit and how you would guide us and the opportunities that you bring to us. And Father, as we face challenges to this, we pray that you would attend to our needs whether it is sickness, and we have many that are sick in our midst, many that want to be here but cannot be. You know their situations. Please bless them with healing. We thank you that we have so many examples, like Kenny that is with us today, and, and, and Dottie that is with us today, and so many others where we see your hand at work. But we pray that you would continue to intervene, that you would bring healing and peace. And we pray for that peace for not only those that are struggling physically, but those that are struggling emotionally, struggling spiritually, for those that are struggling especially spiritually, and they don't even know it because they're caught up in sin. Oh, Father, as we prepare next week for, for communion where we're lifted spiritually into your presence, let us be real about where we are in life. Let us be quick to admit where we, again, need your forgiveness, where we need to repent. No matter what it is, Father, please work in our lives so that we will be the people that you have called us to be. So that we would reflect your greatness and your glory and we would reflect this in the world around us that is groping in darkness. That latches on to the slightest bit of hope. It really is just another false path. We know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to you but through him. So then, Father, let us proclaim his greatness. As we consider the world around us, we pray that you would continue to intervene. We know you're working. It's evident in so many ways. But please, in this time of great wickedness, where many would turn from you, we pray that you would continue to build your church, that many would come to know Jesus Christ and be saved, and that we would see where we fit in whether it's here in Spotswood or supporting those abroad, whatever it is, work in our hearts that we would be amongst the faithful. We pray these and all things in Christ's name. Amen. And now, friends, let's continue our time of worship as we sing of God's might and greatness. Hymn number 84, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. Please stand with me as we sing. Number 84.
Let's go to the Lord, our Father, in light of what we've just lifted up. There's nowhere we go that you are not present and active in our lives. We're so grateful, again, for your love and mercy. Now, as we come to this portion of the service, we will return to you out of that bounty that you've bestowed upon us. I pray that you would bless the gift. I pray that you would bless the giver. I pray that you would work through old providence for the sake of your kingdom. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
Thank you so much, Barbara. That is one of my favorite hymns, and I love that arrangement of it. Do you have that desire that the Savior would lead and guide your life? I hope that you do, not just for the sake of him being the Savior, but for your sake. So again, thank you, choir. My friends, today, as we continue our series in the Psalms, we come to a passage that is perhaps the most well-known in all of Scripture, and I know that that's saying something. It's it's right up there, perhaps, with John 3.16 in terms of people being familiar with it. Now, what passage could be so well-known? Well, if you've looked in your bulletin and you paid attention to the choir special, then you know that I'm referring to the 23rd Psalm. Yes, the 23rd Psalm. You know, it's fascinating that the 23rd Psalm is as well-known and popular as it is. It, you know, it doesn't tell some story. There's no story of conquest or tragedy. It's not like the story of David and Goliath. It's not, not like Noah and his ark. Much to the contrary, the 23rd Psalm really is a reminder of, of who God is, right? And, and, and who we are as his people. And what a wonderful thing this is, a, a valuable thing to remember who we are and who God is. In fact, as the choir just lifted up about that desire to be led by the Savior, when I look back on instances in my life when I was overly stressed, fearful, worrisome, or or even neglectful and rebellious, all of them pretty much can be traced back to my failing to remember who God is and who he has called me to be as his child. And in much the same way, the the fact of the matter is that, that our understanding of the 23rd Psalm, yes, but even more so, Our understanding of the nature of our relationship with God in general is based on whether or not we believe God when he tells us who he is and who we are in his word. Now realize that God leaves no room for wondering or wandering about these things. He tells us. He tells us who we are. He tells us who he is. And as a side note, isn't that an appropriate message in the world that we're living in today? A world that seemingly struggles over the very core of identity, the very core of who it is and and what it's supposed to be. Our Lord tells us who he is and who we are. But that in itself presents a question, one that we wrestle with, whether we realize we wrestle with it or not. We wrestle with it when temptation comes. We wrestle with it when difficulty comes our way. But we also wrestle with it when prosperity comes. We wrestle with it in times of great ease when we might forget the Lord. The question, that struggle that we face is, is God really who he says he is? My friends, this is one of the biggest questions that you will answer. And you will answer it whether you want to or not. Because it's answered in how you live. And the reason this is so important is because if if God really is who he says he is in his word, and if he really does all the things that he says he does in his word, and especially in our passage that we're coming to today, the 23rd Psalm, for instance, well then, that ought to affect the way that you and I live our lives. It ought to dramatically affect our understanding of the world around us. So who does God say that he is? 
If you've got your Bibles, you should be in the 23rd Psalm already. But let me tell you that today we're really only going to get through the first small part of it because of its gravity and its implications. Next week we'll just pick up wherever we leave off. Now, we're going to start reading in the first verse of the 23rd Psalm. Um, and let me just go ahead and warn you, I am preaching from the King James today. Martha and I were talking before. I, the, I always come in here and set up early in the morning. Martha, of course, is over there. And, and as I was dragging, you know, this out of the, uh, the underside of the pulpit, I said, I'm bringing out the big guns today. I'm preaching from the King James Version. And I said, and I've got to preach from the King James. It's the 23rd Psalm. Um, one of my pastor friends, he, he remarks that it is exegetical malpractice if you preach from the 23rd Psalm and you don't use the King James. But realize this isn't because we're stringent. If you're a visitor, we're not stringent about the King James. This isn't a KJV-only church, right? It, in fact, you know, it, it's pretty irregular that I use the King James. Normally, I'm in the CSB. But with the King James, there's a poetry, yes, but even more so, there's an emphasis in the King James with the 23rd Psalm that isn't so much seen in other translations. So that's why we're using it. Now, we're going to start reading in verse 1 of the 23rd Psalm, but before I read anything, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, as we come to this subject today, this subject of who you are and, and who we are, oh, Father, we, we are facing so many temptations, so many distractions, so many things that would pull us away from this core fundamental question. Please cut through all of these. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. In this world of ours that struggles over identity, you answer all the questions. You don't leave us wondering. But we can still miss it if you don't guide us. So please, by your Holy Spirit, fill us now. Guide us that we would understand what your word says, yes, but what it means and its implications for our lives also. Please be with us now. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1, I'm sure many of you could flat out recite it. But the 23rd Psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thus ends the 23rd Psalm. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy and errant an infallible word. Amen and amen. Now, back to that big question. Who does God say he is? And what is this relationship really like between God and his people? In a word picture, in a phrase, God tells us in the 23rd Psalm that he is our shepherd. Of all the metaphors that he could use, of all the word pictures that could be painted to describe who God is and who we are, he chose that of the shepherd. As it says in verse 1, the author has written, the psalmist has written, the Lord is my shepherd. Now I wonder, before we even get any further, can you say this? 
really and truly. As you consider your relationship with the Lord, and this is something only you and the Lord really know about, I'm not asking if you know that the Lord is your shepherd. Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd? Do you have that level of relationship, that level of reliance on him where immediately your mind goes to the fact that he isn't just a shepherd, he isn't just some shepherd, you don't know the theologically correct answer for this or that's not what you're focusing on. Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd? Now before you answer, realize that the proof of the puddings and the tasting, right, or another way to say this, is that your life reveals the real answer to my question. Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? What you do reveals your level of trust. And trust is everything. But we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. Getting back to the 23rd Psalm. It's a fascinating Psalm. There's some mechanics to it that we need to talk about. One thing that's quite interesting is its author. And it is quite interesting that of all the ways God could use to describe his relationship with us, he uses the shepherd. Now, again, we're getting into this grand mystery of the Bible being God's word, right? It is the word of God. It's breathed out by God, but there is human authorship. We can see the human authorship's personality, their background coming forth. Realize who wrote the 23rd Psalm in terms of its human author. I think you probably already know. It was King David. Right, that wrote the 23rd Psalm. But it's fascinating with David because even though we refer to King David as King David most often, he's not King David when we first find him in the scriptures, is he? Anybody remember what David is when we first find him? He's a shepherd, isn't he? And he's a lowly shepherd, and I use that term accurately. He's too young to go to war against the Philistines like his big brothers. Why, we even find out that David is chided and he's mocked for being a shepherd by his big brother Eliab, right? You remember the story, David is going to deliver cheeses and and some goods not only to his brothers but to their commanders. You know, it's interesting how, how you grease the wheels of progress. Some things never change in thousands of years. He's going to their superiors, too. Nevertheless, David shows up. He finds out about Goliath. David starts asking, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, Eliab, David's older brother, you know, there's a lot of things going on here. Certainly there's some sibling rivalry. But, but when David shows up, it says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and he asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? You know, again, there, there's some sibling rivalry showing up. I know that siblings have no concept of that. But nevertheless, sibling rivalry is there. But something is betrayed in what Eliab has said. Listen to the derision with which he talks about what David is doing. He's not only talking about the fact that he's a shepherd. He speaks of it as though it's unimportant. And he brings out the wilderness aspect. Now, there's no doubt that it was important because a lot of the economy was built on sheep. And and that was a necessary thing for so many families. But shepherds faced prejudice, y'all. Shepherds were rough. They they had to be rough. As we know from David's conversation with Saul, if you kept on reading in 1 Samuel, he'd talk about being a shepherd, how he was in the wilds, how he had to kill a bear, right? how he had to use his bare hands to these things. He, He had to fight off wild animals. And again, he lived in the wilds. That made him different. 
And even though his brother viewed shepherding as a lowly position, even though shepherds were often not held in high regard, this wasn't the case for David. You know, much of society did not hold shepherding in high regard. At one time they did, and then things started to shift. And in fact, by the time you get to the first century, you find out that shepherds were greeted with such suspicion they weren't even allowed to give testimony in courts of law. Right? There was such a prejudice against them. But we're talking about David here. Remember, David understood sheep. You know, of all the metaphors you can use, why this? Well, first off, David understood sheep, and he understood being a shepherd. And also, he's king as he writes this. So don't let it escape you that this passage was written by somebody in the know, okay? He's not talking from a position of ignorance. David chose to call God the shepherd. He chose to refer to himself as one of God's sheep, along with the rest of God's people as the Lord's sheep. Hence the opening phrase that David begins with. The Lord is my shepherd. But what does this really mean? I don't know if you've ever considered this before. Sometimes when we become really familiar with passages, we just kind of glaze over them, right? What does it mean that the Lord is our shepherd? Well, pretty much the entire rest of the psalm answers that question, showing us the implications of God being our shepherd. But the entire 23rd psalm really can be summed up in the completion of this phrase. He starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, And then the implication is, I shall not want. Now again, y'all, I tell you this all the time. I talked about it last week with the call to worship about lifting your eyes to the hills. I tell you, beware bumper sticker theology. Beware refrigerator magnet theology because sometimes the things that they put in just these short snippets of God's word are taken out of context. And sometimes we can become so familiar with God's word that we miss the huge ramifications of such a statement. This is one of those examples. I shall not want. What a grand statement that is. Have you ever really thought about it? You know, whether you realize it or not, as you consider this grand reality, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You're at a fork in the road. I said early on that the way that you read this passage and apply it to your life is based on how you answer that one question. Is God really who he says he is? Let me ask that question in another way, though, because this is the fork in the road that you're finding yourself at. In light of the Lord saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you trust God? Because that's the spot that the 23rd Psalm puts us all in. This is the fork in the road that we find ourselves at when we read the 23rd Psalm. And I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, but this is so very important, not just for your understanding of Psalm 23, but much larger for your understanding of life as you know it. I want you to listen to me now. If you trust God, if you take him at his word when he says, you're one of his sheep and you shall not want, if you believe when God tells you this, Well, then that that should have bearing on who you are. It should have bearing on what you do, on how you do what you do, on why you do what you do. Really trusting God that he will provide to the point that you will not want should affect every area of your life. This is not about the theoretical. It's not about the someday, it's about today. 
Let me ask you, are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you angry? Are you concerned? Are you upset? Are you afraid? Are you confused? Are you any number of things? Evaluate what you are in light of the reality that with God as your shepherd, you shall not want. Trusting God is an intellectual activity. Don't get me wrong. You must decide to trust God as you evaluate life and existence. But y'all, again, your trust is shown in what you do. It is shown in how you live. If you take God at his word, if you believe that God is who he said he is, if you trust God, then the amount of comfort that you ought to receive, the amount of assurance that you ought to receive from the 23rd Psalm, the sheer amount of security that you ought to have from believing what's written here should affect every single area of your life. And should produce things. Think about it. Oh, oh, the courage that should be produced if you really believe the Lord is your shepherd and that you will not want. The courage it should inspire in you if you believe it. If you believe that the Lord is your shepherd and that you will not want, then what does that say about your certainty for the future? Hmm? What does it say about how you view your needs being met? What does it say about how you consider the world around you in all of its craziness? You know, this is a big one right now. I can't tell you the amount of conversations I have with folks. And, and it's interesting. Amanda will, will tell you this. I can go to the mall and sit down and, and wait for them while they're in Belk or something. And meanwhile, somebody will sit down and I know everything but their credit score. And sometimes I know that in five minutes. You know, people talk to me. And, and I'd like to think I don't look like a pastor. I, I try not to. But nevertheless, they tell me things, y'all. You know how many people are concerned about the direction of the world? Um, uh, some of y'all know this. I, I, I love going to the pipe shop in, uh, in Stanton here. It, it's my one stress reliever, my one great stress reliever is smoking a, a pipe. And then, kids, that's bad. Don't do that. But nevertheless, <laughs> I was talking this past week. A guy came in, and he works for Wilson, right? And he talked about how... He was pretty certain they were going to put litter boxes in the bathrooms at Wilson High School. You know, they're not going to be serving kibble in the cafeteria, but they'll put litter boxes in the bathrooms. And he was just flabbergasted about this. He'd been working for them for years and years, and he said, I just can't believe society has come to this point. What's going to happen? They look at things like, the, you know, COVID didn't help any of this, but they look at things like that. They look at things like elections coming up, and people want to know, what's going to happen? The world is crazy. But if you really believe, and if you really trust that the Lord is your shepherd and you're not going to be in want, then that ought to affect your view of the future. It ought to affect how you view the people in your life and what the people in your life need as well. Children, grandchildren. In short, if you actually believe that the Lord is your shepherd and that as a result you will not want, what do you have to worry about? And if you trust in God to make sure that you will not be in want, what do you have to fear? And if God really is your shepherd, if you can say the Lord is my shepherd, if you take him at his word, that you will not be in want when fear, doubt, anxiety, confusion, mystery, or anything else comes your way. If you really believe the Lord's your shepherd, then where do you turn? 
The reason I say that the 23rd Psalm should affect every, every area of your life is that when temptation comes, when these things hit you, you should turn to the Lord and trust. Why? Because he's your shepherd. And nothing and nobody else can provide or protect you as he can and will when you can genuinely say, the Lord is my shepherd. Realize what the rest of the passage says God does as your shepherd. You take verse 2, for instance, right? It says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. What this is talking about here is an example of physical needs. And we'll talk about other needs next week. But this is about the most basic, food and water. As it is with the shepherd and his sheep, God is mindful of what you need, and he meets those needs. Shepherds that don't feed their sheep are not good shepherds, are they? Shepherds that don't water their sheep are not good shepherds either. But you've got to understand what this passage is really talking about when it mentions this. Not only does the shepherd feed his sheep, it says that he makes them lie down in green pastures. Now you might hear this and you might say, okay, preacher, I hear what you're saying, but what about this situation in my life? I know you're saying I won't be in want, but do you know about this that's going on? This medical situation I'm facing, this financial situation I'm facing, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. I don't know how fill in the blank is going to happen. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. This is where understanding the 23rd Psalm is so important. Y'all realize that when it talks about how the Lord makes us lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside still waters. Realize that David is writing from the perspective of somebody that lived in Israel. Okay? When we think about green pastures, you know, we think about prairie lands, grasslands. We think about the beautiful around here. Yet when David wrote this, he wasn't in Virginia. He wasn't in Europe. He was in Israel. And green pastures in Israel actually look like this. Much more than what we see around us. And there's a good reason for that. You know, Jerusalem and its surrounding region that David was actually in as he wrote the 23rd Psalm. It, it's, it's ironic. They get about 23 inches of rain a year. It is not grassland territory. So you might say, well, where does grass come from? Mainly, grass grows around where David wrote this as a result of the western wind that would blow in that was humid, right? It would come off of the sea. The wind would blow in at night, and when it was cool, right, the moisture would condense on the rocks that were still hot from the day. The water would flow down the rocks, and grass would spring up on the other side of rocks in the shade. But again, what it looks like to the naked eye is a sparsely covered desert. You might say, gee, okay, that doesn't sound too good. I thought God provides for our needs. Here's the thing, though. Though it looks sparse at first, the green pastures of Israel contain more than enough grass for the sheep so long as they follow the shepherd. That's the point. What's shown here is the sheep's reliance on the shepherd, yes, but also the sheep's trust in the shepherd. The only way the sheep would be fed is if it followed the shepherd. And my friends, the same is true for you and me. God never says in his words that you won't have needs. God never says in his word that you won't have struggles. Don't listen to that garbage that is out there. There is somebody that wants to sell you a book right now about living your best life now and a desk calendar and a coffee cup and a bumper sticker and everything else where they're going to talk about how if you just trust God, then your life is going to be full of ease and comfort. Let me tell you something. That's not in his word. And in fact, what is in his word is if you're living your best life now, that means when you die, you're going to hell. 
Because your best life is never now. Your best life is in eternity, in heaven with the Savior. God never tells us we won't struggle. But what he does tell us is that he will provide. That if you'll trust him, if you'll follow him, he will provide. We need to remember to follow the shepherd and we need to remember to not fight the shepherd. Don't make his job harder by going off and chasing some other shepherd that promises greener grass. Or wandering away thinking you'll provide for yourself. We'll talk more on that next week. With that warning, I'll bring things to a close. Look, I I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. But it is my sincerest hope and prayer that you are trusting and following him. Uh, Several times I've referred to God's relationship with his people because realize that the Lord is shepherd over his sheep. I hope you realize what makes it possible for the Lord to be your shepherd. It is the good shepherd, in fact. Jesus called himself the good shepherd in John 10, and he clarified why we are his sheep and that he laid down his life for us. Do you know him? As it is with God, is Jesus your shepherd? Are you following him through seeking his will? And are you trusting? Y'all, I said this earlier, and I said I'd come back with it, and with this I'm done. Trust changes everything. If you live a life without trust, then by default, you live a life of self-reliance. And self-reliance in a world where you can't control everything produces fear. It produces anxiety. Instead of trust, it produces mistrust. And all of these things kill joy. But if you'll trust, oh, it changes everything. Have you ever been in a situation that you were concerned about, you were nervous about, and then you just decided to trust somebody and it changed everything? I'll give you the first example I remember in my life of actually trusting somebody and it changed everything. It's going to sound weird. I was talking to to Amanda and Bella about this the other day. I grew up kind of split all over the state of South Carolina, but down in the low country a lot, and that was dove country, right, where you go dove hunting. And I remember being tiny. I don't even know how old I was. I don't think I was in school yet. So we're talking earliest, earliest memories. And I remember going with my grandfather, and there was a whole group of men that went to this dove hunt. And then I looked out, and and something jumped out of a truck. Now, I was so little, and, and this might be surprising to you, but there's a time when children just aren't familiar with things. I had never seen a big dog in my life. And this big dog, I remember it to this day. I even remember his name. His name was Jake, and he was a giant black lab. Jake jumped out of the back of that truck, and I was terrified of that dog. I remember trying to climb up my grandfather because the dog was big, he was barking, he was loud, and I didn't know what to do with Jake, right? Maybe you've been around little children and big dogs, and and sometimes that's the first reaction they have. That was mine with Jake. And I remember my grandfather telling me over and over again, don't worry about it. He's fine. You're going to like him. He's a good dog. You know, he kept saying that over and over again. And finally, and this may sound silly, but I remember finally deciding, having this, this, this not theological, but this philosophical idea in my head, like, well, I know my grandfather's not going to let the dog eat me. And I remember genuinely thinking that, you know, the thoughts of a child. And I remember to trust my grandfather. 
And then Jake ended up coming over to where we were in the cornfield and, you know, waiting for the doves to fly over. And I think I petted that dog for three hours. And I love dogs. I should have named Bo Jake. I say that all the time. No offense to, to your grandson, Jake, or other Jakes that are Jake. Sorry, man. But anyway, I, I love, you know, and it changed everything. I, I, I remember being in a spot of fear and terror and then deciding to trust and being filled with delight. And y'all, that's just something so simple. As it relates to the struggles that you face in life, the unknowns, the questions that you have about the future, about finances, about getting older, about being younger, about it, it doesn't matter. Your level of trust in the Lord affects everything about who you are and what you exhibit to the world around you. It is only your trusting in the Lord that will lead to joy and fulfillment and comfort and newness of life in this weary world that will go so far beyond your expectations of what the Lord can do, who he is and who you are. If you know the Lord but you aren't trusting in him, whatever it is you're facing, turn it over to him today. He's the one in charge after all. Trust him. If you're here and you know you've never trusted the Lord and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, then you and I need to talk. And if you don't want to talk to me, you need to talk to somebody. You need to go to the Lord and ask Jesus to save you, and he will. And you, too, can live that life of trust where you can say not just the Lord is some shepherd, not a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And you can know that you will not be in want. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are indeed our shepherd, that you have called us to be your sheep. Let us not run. Let us not seek out some other shepherd. Instead, let us trust and let the radiance of our trust go out from us so that others would see the beauty, the simplicity of knowing and loving you. Please work in us to that end. And I pray it in Christ's name. My friends, we have read it. Now let's sing the 23rd Psalm as we take our Bible song book. It's Bible song number 46, the green book, as we stand and sing together, The Lord's My Shepherd. Please stand.
same way that it is my hope and prayer that you can say the Lord is my shepherd, it is my same prayer that you know you will dwell in, in his house forever. If you do not know these things, again, I'm, I'll be right up there. Let's talk. Receive the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen.